so first of all then this this gospel is good news it's good good news um and for me it's good news increasingly the older i get the more i read the more i think about it this stuff is really really good news and it may just be that politics at the moment and the world is very turbulent but the more i look at people on earth and the more i think about systems the more i realize that actually um this this eternal god that we've got who is greater than anything we can imagine uh, has given us a gospel that is just so counter to anything we could write some of us could sit down and come up with an awesome strategy for how we we could make the world better and we could do some good stuff but actually this this plan is quite remarkable and it's not surprising that it took matthew 20 odd chapters to try and explain to the jews that this is not the, the next military leader, and this is not someone who's going to come in and just for a few years um, bring a new kingdom that is Jewish-led. What Matthew's trying to say is Jesus's kingdom is totally different. It, it sets all the established thinking upside down. It's not about being merciless. It's about being merciful. It's not about being powerful and knowing it all. It's about being poor in spirit and about being meek. It's not about thinking you can do everything on your own. It's about living in community and knowing you desperately need other people. So it's, it's a really powerful gospel. Um, and we're now going into week three. I'm already excited because one of the things I got really excited about yesterday was next week is salt and light. Um, and I wasn't planning to do salt and light, but the more I've just been thinking yesterday, I, I almost felt like I got a download of um, salt and light. And I sat for 20 minutes or so and just wrote and wrote and thought, oh, this is, this is powerful stuff. Um, so Kate and I think are going to do a bit of a double act next week. Um, but look forward to that because these are the Beatitudes. Next week, it's about salt and light. None of it is about you must, you should, you have to. That's not what this is about. This is a picture. It's almost like a song that Matthew is trying to say, look at this beautiful, awesome, or inspiring kingdom. So this is week three. What we're going to do here is we're going to look really um, at the, the next part of the blessings. So we started with um, recognizing that the Sermon on the Mount is probably the first sermon. Um, and some of the stuff that I was reading yesterday was quite interesting because what it was trying to say was that although it's pretty clear that Luke and Matthew are talking about the same thing, um, think about Jesus's job. Jesus started as a carpenter, but then he became an itinerant minister. His job was to go around talking and giving good news and healing the sick and um, curing people of diseases and casting out spirits. That's what he did. So this message that he was giving, um, this Sermon on the Mount, he probably had the Sermon on the Mount um, it, almost kind of off by pat after a few weeks and a few months. So it would have been delivered once right at the start. But 
it's such good stuff that people would have started talking about it and people would have been going from Capernaum maybe to Tiberius and they'd have been saying oh we heard him speak the other night it was awesome he was talking about this he was saying the poor in spirit he was saying it's okay when you're persecuted he was saying that even though we can't pay the bills God is good there's an eternal kingdom so this is an exciting buzz that was being created by Jesus's ministry it was a big buzz it was a new message so um, what we said last week was it's Luke is really focusing on a social gospel. He's saying it's good news for the downtrodden, for the last, the least, for the lost. Um, but most importantly, he's also saying, and so is Matthew, that being blessed is a state rather than an emotion. It's, it's a fact rather than a feeling. So it's not something that we need to get really worked up about. You know, wow, yeah, 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 I'm really, really happy today. Um, it's a fact. It's a definite absolute. So last week we said, Jesus said in Matthew, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn and the meek. And I, I said that there was a progression to it. Um, and I was asked by email some questions about this. How is poor in spirit different from being meek? Um, and I was trying to say that essentially poor in spirit um, is the recognition. It's the initial spark. It's the thing that says, um, I, I realize I cannot do it. I, I am bereft. I am lost without somebody saving me and that takes you to the morning which leads to meekness you cannot once you've realized that you are desperately um, unable to meet the requirements that the kingdom needs then your whole attitude changes so those three are all internal and they are Godward. They're, they're humble way, ways of being, of saying we, we've reflected on where we are and we cannot be proud. We, we cannot think that we know it all. Um, the kingdom of heaven is not for the proud. It's not for people who think they've worked everything out. Thank the Lord. It's for people who lay their lives down, humbly come before the throne of God and say, I need Jesus. So... We've got now four more Beatitudes this week, um, and they are a slightly different feel. So we've got blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So we're not going to leave behind that logic from the first three we are still humble. We never stop realizing that we are desperate for God. But once we've got that in our heads, that leads us to display outward characteristics and to behave in a very, very different way. And when we were thinking about some of the Old Testament people, you can see people like Moses are, are very humble and very um, broken at points, but then are also able to leave, lead probably over a million people on what is possibly an even more challenging task than we face as a nation today. Taking a group out of captivity to a promised land that you're not quite sure where it is, that is a challenge in the desert. But Moses was before God, poor in spirit and meek, and then he was able to do great things. So for all of us, we've got that tension where we are essentially broken people recognizing our desperate need for God, but we're not left there. 
we're then able to go on and to actually do great things for God. And when we get to being salt and light, what we'll see next week is God says, Jesus says, Matthew says, this, this isn't a negotiable. It's just going to happen. You are salt and light. You are salt and light. You are an influence in a broken world. You are going to go up and make a difference. You are going to be those people that the world desperately needs. So we'll see that next week. But for this week, we're looking at these four. And the first one is uh, be merciful. Blessed are those who show mercy. Now, it's impossible to be merciless when you've been shown great mercy. When we really understand how great the love that the Father has lavished on us is, that we are sons of God, that we're children of God, and that is what we are, even when we were still sinners, it's impossible to behave towards other people in any way other than to behave in love and mercy. You, you can't be cruel and heartless and judgmental and exacting when you know that the judge of the universe, who totally has the power to break us and destroy us, knows everything about us, but wipes the slate clean. He says, I, I am Abba, I am Father. He knows totally how bad we are inside, but he still chooses not just to say, I love you and I'm for you, but to chase us when things go wrong. So not only is he saying, I will forgive all your sins, I suppose I had to, but he's saying, I, I want to do it. I want to bring you as close to me as I possibly can. I want to rip down that big curtain in the temple so that there is no holy, sanctified and the rest. I want everyone to have the opportunity to be holy and to be pure and to feel close to God. So um, mercy is a great word. It's very close to grace and it's synonymous really with the English word compassion. And mercy is also, there's, there's a great Hebrew word. Uh, I noticed Drew's on the call still. There's a great Hebrew word called hesed, which is loving kindness. Um, and like all Hebrew, um, like all Hebrew compound words, it's it's a word that's that's almost got a personality to it, um, like as we'll see a bit later, shalom. So you show mercy and you receive mercy when it's totally undeserved. The right thing is to be punished. So that legally, you should be punished. You should actually get a punishment for what you've done. But mercy says, despite what's right and what legally should happen, you are going to be let off. You are going to be forgiven. Um, and that kind of mercy, that kind of forgiveness, in the Hebrew way of forgiveness, um, when somebody had a debt, they would normally have like a little chit. They'd have a little piece of paper that was the debt. And often people will say, what this is about is when the debt is paid off, you fold the debt up. I'm trying to look as an example here, just so happens. You fold the debt up, you fold it like that, you get a hammer and a nail, and then you bang it onto the front of your door. Bang. And that shows that that debt's paid, it's gone, it's finished. There's no legal right to that money anymore. 
And so mercy is about wiping the slate clean. It's about saying nobody has any hold anymore on all those things that you've done wrong or those things that you are going to do wrong. The, the, the slate is wiped clean. So in the Old Testament, we see this mercy a couple of times. First of all, in the book of Esther, which is an awesome book, and I really recommend read the book of Esther again, because Esther has that great phrase that maybe, says her uncle, maybe you were brought to this point for such a time as this. And there are people um, here today, people, Kate, like you, who are brought, you've been developed and you've been brought to a place that you're at now for just a time at this. The things that have been happening in you, the developments, the learning you've been going through, um, I guess this is a prophetic word, really. You've been brought to that place as a woman of God for right now. You are needed. You need to stand up and speak those words and do the things that God has brought into you for now. And that's what happens to Esther. Esther is just a poor Israelite girl. And her uncle says, there's a gap here. The king, who is a bit of a mad king, needs a queen. So she puts herself forward. And there comes a point where her people, the Jews, are in desperate straits. And she's prayed and they need to fast. And she goes before the king Xerxes and she knows he does mad things. There are some weird stories that I can't really go into about Xerxes, but sometimes he would literally just kill people right in front of all his courtiers just to show his power. Merciless. But on this occasion, when she goes into his presence, which she's not allowed to do legally, he extends a scepter and he says to her, you can speak. And she pours out her heart and she basically says to him, look, there, there is somebody trying to destroy my people. Help me, help me. So she was right in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. Um, and she received mercy. Um, there's another really interesting bit in the Old Testament um, before Esther, where Moses says to God, do you know what? I just want one thing. I just want one thing. If I'm going to go and try and lead a million people into the wilderness, not knowing where I'm going, I need one thing. I just need to feel and experience your presence and your glory. That's what I need. I just need your presence and your glory. And so Moses, um, before God, God says to him, OK, I'll, I'll do that. Um, and it says in Exodus chapter 34, the Lord passed before Moses and he proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So this is the Lord saying, this is who I am. Moses. Yeah, the commandments are important, but this is what you need to hear. If you dwell in my presence, you will hear this again and again. I am merciful. I am gracious. I am slow to anger. I abound. I overwhelm. Um, I, I overflow with love and solid faithfulness. So it's no surprise that in Psalm 145, we read, 
the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. His mercy is over all that he has made, which even there in the Psalms is seeming to suggest that the mercy isn't just a solid part of God's character, but that it's overwhelming, that it's over everything. The way in which God operates is in mercy and in grace and in love. And I keep going back to Luke 15 and just thinking if if there's one chapter that just overwhelmingly and progressively shows the grace and the mercy of God, it's the way in which it suggests you just cannot go further away from God. He will always try and pull you back. So that's an awesome thing um, about the mercy of God. And we, we also see in Matthew later on what's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. So I think we do need to think that there's a sense of this overwhelming mercy of God. But there's also this fascinating passage a little bit later called the parable of the unmerciful servant. And it says, Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how many times have I got to forgive my brother and sister who sin against me? Seven? Really? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 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 not not seven, but 77 times. And to be honest, I don't think what Jesus means here is get out your little kind of notebook and go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. I'm up to 76. Phew, I've only got to do one more. What Jesus is doing here is you've got to basically keep forgiving because you've been forgiven so much. So Jesus then says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement. A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to the king. And since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and that everything he had be sold to repay the debt. And at this, the servant fell on his knees before them. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. So that's 10,000 gold bags. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins not so much, although silver in those times was worth more than gold. But he grabbed him, he began to choke him, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees, begging, be patient, I will, I promise I will pay it back. But this man refused. He went off, he had the servant thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what has happened, they were outraged. They said, Master, look at what this guy's done. And they told him everything. So the big master, the big boss, called the first servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours, 10,000 gold bags, because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he would pay back all of that money. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. So we're called to show mercy, even in the same way that God shows mercy. Now, that is a heck of a scary passage. 
Because what that seems to be saying is, if we forgive men their sins, then our father will forgive our sins. But if we don't, he's going to torture us. Now, I'm not convinced that that is the heart of what Jesus is trying to get across here. I think what he's trying to say is, you, you have to understand how great this mercy, this grace that God's given to you. You really need to get how massive a sin, a debt you have had paid off. And when you've done that, just be like me, be merciful, be forgiving, be gracious as you go out into the world. Now, Rob, Nita, I hear at this point that you maybe last night had a few thoughts. Perhaps you'd like for a couple of minutes just to share one or two sort of small things for us. Okay, so the thought I had was that um, as you were reading the parable yesterday on the on the video, um, I realised that in my thinking, if you'd asked me to tell you the story of the unmerciful servant, I would have said that when the servant went, when the master, um, you know, the servant realised he owed the master all this money, I would have said, oh, he kind of fell on his knees and begged the master for forgiveness. But he didn't do that. He actually said to the master, be patient and I will repay everything. And I suppose it struck me that the debt was so huge. There's no way he could pay that back. Um, and he didn't know that. He actually believed there was a way, even if it took him his whole lifetime, I don't know, that he could pay back that debt. But the master knew that there was no way this man is going to be able to pay back the debt. And so he stepped in and released him from the debt. And so I was just thinking about us as, you know, when we, we come to, to Jesus before we are Christians or even, you know, when we're Christians, <coughs> if we, it, like, we can never pay what we owe God. We cannot do it. There is nothing in this world that we can use that's not hard work, it's not effort, it's not, it's not good works, it's not money. There's nothing we can do to repay what we owe God. And, and part of the problem, I think, of the unmerciful servant was that he didn't really understand what the debt was. And sometimes we don't understand what yeah. we owe God. We minimise our sin, we minimise our wrongdoing, our wrong thinking, our wrong attitudes. And so maybe that's what made then the servant go to his fellow servant and believe that this guy could, you know, do what he actually can do himself. So, yeah, it was just a thought, really. And I hope, you know, it was, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, no, it's not just a thought. It's, it's bang on. It's absolutely bang on. And I think it, it goes right back to the poor in spirit and the meek of heart that, yeah. Yeah. that it, I, sometimes we even need the Holy Spirit just to, to do that. I think Paul says that, you know, it's even faith is a gift itself. Even getting that, you know, I, I think you're right. I think that first guy, he didn't realise, oh my gosh, that's 10 thousand bags of gold there is no way i could ever pay off that kind of debt and that's the grace of god that um jesus is trying to share about the kingdom here is it's the flip side is once you get that you're not ever going to try and sort of pay it off again you're, you're not ever going to try and live thinking i've got to do this i've got to get this right i've got to get up today and do all the things on my tick list that is not what god wants us to do he he wants us to live in utter gratitude yeah, good. yeah. My, <clears throat> I'll, I'll oh, my, my point uh, briefly which was that we can uh, look at the parable of the unmerciful servant and 
we think about this guy who had just been forgiven a lot and then he goes and finds this other guy and we think what a rotter <laughs> i mean what i i could you can't identify with him but actually the truth is that if we bear grudges against um about other people um then we are exactly like that because we have had this massive debt um you know we deserve to die we 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 deserve hell but actually um you know jesus is uh, <clears throat> has paid the price and we've had a massive debt forgiven and so if somebody's done just a even a small thing um or, or whatever it is um, then we we need to make sure that we're forgiving and i made the point that sometimes we can think that we've forgiven somebody uh, but then a thought might come to us uh, i've experienced this where and you suddenly find yourself thinking looking down on the person thinking a bit ill of them and find thinking well if that's what happens and they deserve that um and then so i was encouraging everybody really to take take some time and just come before god and say well i think i'm okay but if there's anybody that i haven't forgiven please reveal that to me because i want to be completely clean and clear um in, in my conscience that i'm not holding anybody and that even if somebody has wronged somebody perhaps that that we love and we might got this sort of attitude towards them where we're not actually wanting the blessing of that to them uh then then that's wrong and we need to repent of that and to and to say uh, say before god i completely forgive them their debt is completely wiped out as far as i'm concerned awesome yeah i um i want to be honest rob i think you were probably there but um many years ago um i'd had something happen to me that was very very difficult to stomach and um I was very, very cross about this person and I found it very hard um, to think of them at all positively and probably all the words coming out of my mouth about them were negative. And um, I remember, I think I was with you, Robin, with Rich and um, Rich made the point of saying, I think you need to, I just think you need to forgive someone. You need to forgive this person. Do you remember that? Um, and I, I, if I'm honest, it, I didn't even think this through, but what was going on in my head was, um, oh, yeah, I don't feel bad about them. I get it. I understand. And Rich was saying, just say I forgive them. And I was kind of, well, I, I kind of, you know, I, I do, I, I can do that. It's, that's not the stumbling block. And, and literally, there was no way at that point without the prayer that the words, I forgive this person, were going to come out because I didn't. I had been so badly hurt by this person that I kind of wanted them dead. Um, I wanted them wiped out. I wanted them away from everything. And um, once I did that and the words actually came out, which, which needed prayer, um, the freedom and the attitude towards that person, even yesterday, even yesterday, and I don't come into contact with them all the time, even yesterday, I was thinking good things about this person. And um, what I would say, therefore, is Rob is absolutely right. And this is a spiritual thing for this morning. Um, you may not be able to solve some of these things right now. You know, if this is like a big thing that somebody has really hurt you, or you know, you know if you're mouthing off about somebody, or if you're thinking bad thoughts about them, or if you've been hurt about them, take some time 
to really sort of talk to your close friends, talk to the people that you love, people that you respect. Um, but you may need some prayer over that because the release, if you forgive those people, um, which, which is Jesus is saying, well, that's how we are. That's how we roll. Um, you will find that kind of freedom. Yeah. Well, do you want to say anything else on that? No, <laughs> no. Great. Okay. So um, there's another thought um, for today. Um, we're going to move then into the second beatitude. I'm conscious of time, so I will keep cracking on. Um, the second one, Matthew says, is blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So we probably think when we think of purity, we get it straight away. We probably think, I know what pure is. Um, it's that obvious thing. It's personal white. It's clean. It's unspoiled. Um, in the Bible, we're told we, we are washed white as snow by the blood of Jesus. Um, we'll come before God pure and spotless because of the pure and spotless Lamb of God. We will see God at the end of time. We will be there. The blood of Jesus will cover us completely. And we have been washed um, white as snow. We've been washed. It's happened. And we will see it physically when we get to heaven. We will see the whiteness, the purity. Um, Purity was a big, big thing for the Jews. Um, and of course, interestingly, purity is actually quite a big thing for us at the moment. Um, we've had to just go back through as a school, all of the different regulations about social distancing, minimising contact, washing surfaces, washing hands constantly, singing that happy birthday song twice. Although I've got a special song, actually, that I sing. It's not happy birthday. Um, but actually, that kind of ceremonial purity, so everything is super duper clean, that's the kind of purity we think about. Um, so when Matthew's writing to the Jews, he's, he's wanting to say... Okay, it is about ceremonial cleanliness. It is about that kind of purity, but it's more than that. It's about the heart. It's not just about washing your hands a million times. It's about the insides. Um, and so we choose through the power of the Holy Spirit to think good thoughts, to avoid temptations, to focus on things that are noble and good and holy and heavenly, we, we are sanctified. Um, one obvious point is where we're baptised, where we have the Holy Spirit come on us um, through physical baptism. Um, but Jesus is very clear when he talks to the Pharisees, woe, woe to you, you're like what he calls whitewashed sepulchres. You're like very, very clean tombs. Um, you look great on the outside. You look really white and really pure. Um, but inside, you're like death. And so what Jesus is really saying to us is it's about purity of heart. I'm not so bothered about what you do in public all the time. First and foremost, get your insides sorted out. Um, and if you need to do some deep work on yourself, then get that sorted. Get to a point where inside you are not thinking things that are impure and you're, you're not feeling things that are really bitter and getting you twisted up. Get that right. Get that meekness. Go before God. And then you will be able um, to go out into the world. Obviously, the truth is those two things happen at the same time. Um, our question is, 
is our inside matching the outside? I mean, I'm really conscious when I come on Zoom calls that um, I know that my curtains are a bit wonky and I know that some of Judith's jewellery is in the corner and da-da-da. But actually what God's been saying to me is get your inside sorted. Get, get, get the inside aligned with the kingdom. Um, and actually pur purity isn't just about um, cleanliness. It's also about single-mindedness. So um, you, you can have pure vision. Um, you think purely of one thing. You're undistracted. You're uninterrupted. You've got clear vision. So the pure are those who focus entirely on God. Um, Drew Cromwell often says that the key phrase for him is, are we living for an audience of one? Is our single-minded focus about what does Jesus say? Um, so not so much what would Jesus do, but am I living so that actually pleasing God, my saviour, is the biggest, most important thing in my life? Um, I'm, I'm kind of not, if I'm honest. Um, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit too much. God, if you can just sort this bit out, then you can have everything. And God, if, if once that bit's out of the way, then I'll really concentrate on that. And maybe what God said to me this week is, I'm knocking you out completely. You're in your room. That's it. Um, we're going to have some, we're going to talk a bit more. We're going to talk for the next 10 days a bit more. So I don't know, but maybe. Um, so it's no surprise then that as we're humble and we're merciful and we're pure of heart, we will be peacemakers. Um, it's so clear in the Bible that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And Prince doesn't mean he's second and there's a king. Prince means he's in charge of peace. He brings peace. Um, there's an English word for peace and peace in English, when we talk about it, it's kind of about few. Everything's calm. It, there's no wars going on. There's no chaos. It's at peace. But we know that the, the great Hebrew word shalom means so much more. Um, peace talks tend to be about, right, let's stop that person from doing that thing. Let's divide the, the land up a little bit. Let's make sure nobody hits each other again. It's all preventative. But shalom is much, much bigger. Shalom is about wholeness. It's about unified togetherness. It's about the presence of positive things, not just the absence of negative things. It's, it's not just stop fighting or arguing or disagreeing. It's about something positive and rich um, coming in to solve problems deeply and forever. And in the Old Testament, shalom is um, what's called a compound um, name for God, Jehovah Shalom. It's who he is. It's his character. He can't stop bringing peace. And so um, it's no surprise that in John's gospel, some of Jesus's last words, John chapter 14, Jesus says, peace, shalom, I leave with you. Um, my peace I give you. It's not the kind of peace that the world has. Don't be troubled and don't be fearful. Um, and peace of God is guarding our hearts and minds as Christians. We find when we've got difficult decisions to make, it's often the peace of God that helps us know whether something is right or not right. People say, I, I just didn't have peace about it. So we need to make sure that we, we have got that peace of God. 
Um, but the Beatitude um, isn't just saying be at peace. Um, it's also saying be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. So Christians in some churches, particularly Anglican churches, will pass the peace to one another. Um, some of you may have been in those kind of churches where you go around and you sort of shake hands. Can't do it at the moment. Um, but you pass the peace one to another and you say, peace of God be on you and also on you. And that's really significant. Um, but one of the problems is that many Christians don't actually share peace. What they really share is gossip and stories and rumbles and rumours. Um, and if we are going to be peacemakers, then I think it needs to start with what we say. Um, I, I do really like Hamilton, the musical. And there's a phrase in Hamilton, the musical, which is talk less, smile more. Um, now, in Hamilton, it's a little bit of a negative sort of tone because it's really um, on the outside look great, but on the inside be conniving and clever and work things through. But there is a sense in which we are told to be careful about what we say, to be listeners. So if we're going to be peacemakers, then we need to listen. We need to understand. I'm, I'm great. My brain works quite fast. So I'm great at thinking ahead and working out what's coming. But what I'm teaching myself is to listen, to properly listen um, so that I really understand. I think you're saying this. Is that right? Is that what you're saying? Okay. And then to pause and then think, right. And some of us, we need to realise that when, when we're sharing our stories about each other, um, it is actually from a kind of, oh, thank goodness they've got things worse, or I really want to know the gossip, I want to know what's going on. Whereas actually, what Jesus is really clear about is we are to be peacemakers. We've, we've got to not only not share and disseminate bad stuff we've got to be actively bringing shalom into situations so for some of us we need to think about when we go it'll come up next week salt and light when we go into situations we are peace we take the spirit of god which is shalom into those situations so we're not sharing negative things we are taking peace with us and if we're doing that, um, then what we're going to find is that actually we're having to do some physical stuff. We're not just going in with good words. We are doing exactly what you've been doing, many of you, this week. You are going into people's house and you are bringing a wholeness with a paintbrush. You are bringing shalom on a stick. You are taking shalom with your checkbooks. You are taking the spirit of God with you in a practical way. So instead of gossiping in a coffee shop and grumbling over the phone, you are physically going in and doing stuff that shows the kingdom of God. And that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so there is always tension in the world. If you go on any social media, you will see the challenges of different people. I think we are called to think very carefully about how we share this message of hope, this gospel. Um, but of course, what we will find is as we do share, even though the message we've got is a pure message of shalom and a message of peace, 
we will find the final beatitude says, um, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, yours is the kingdom. Matthew says, blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely say all kinds of stuff against you because of me. So it is clear here, we are going to find that people insult us, they persecute us possibly, they don't like us because of what we are. It's not that we are saying things that are really negative, but the very fact that we are bringing this counter kingdom is difficult. And I, I do find that hard. I know that some, some of us like being liked. We like people to think we are nice, a good person, a good bloke or a nice woman, or oh, I love really being with them because they're so nice. But actually we as kingdom carriers we are going to find that we have to share things and say things in love which are really challenging for people um i find it hard that i know there are people in the world who really really hate me um because they feel that some of the things i've done are not what they would want so we need to recognize that may happen and we need to take that stuff to god and say lord i i don't want this um, I certainly don't want to hurt people, um, but I need to live in a holy way. And let's not forget that Jesus was treated very, very badly, despised, rejected, crucified. And many Christians throughout the centuries have had that experience. Um, so what we're seeing here, and we know this, is that the Beatitudes are all about Matthew sharing what Jesus is like. This is the Prince of Peace. This is the man who is a man of sorrows. This is the man who comes and brings a new kingdom with him. And so as we finish thinking about these Beatitudes this week, what, what I really want to focus on is this is not a list of do's and don'ts. This is not the time to go away and think, um, oh, I'm useless. I can never match up. Rob, Rob and Nietzsche have made it really clear to us this morning. That's the whole point of this gospel. You can't do it. You cannot do it on your own. But the grace, the mercy of God is there. And then once the grace and mercy flows, the spirit of God comes in and he genuinely, she genuinely, the spirit is usually she, um, she comes in and she fills us with the goodness of God and enables us to live those holy lives. So yes, we need to seek the kingdom of God with everything we've got, but we know that Jesus is for us, that the spirit of God fills us and that that enables us to do the things that we were born to do. Okay.